This morning we're concluding this series that we've been in through this Advent season where we're looking at how Jesus' birth and his light burst through the, the darkness and can kind of cast away the darkness in our own life and can lead us into a new life. And one of the things I get just kind of aware of again and again, it just kind of amazes me as I've rethought back through over these last couple of weeks and the Advent series and what's been going on, is just really the love of God that would see us in our rebellion and in our sin and in our brokenness and would come to us to seek to bring life to that which has rebelled against God, to bring goodness out of which was broken. And he has stepped into our messy, nasty situations and has redeemed us, has called us anew, has saved us. Uh, what I find just amazing, again, in the Christmas story, as I've just reflected back on it, just to thinking about these last couple of weeks, is that God stepped into our humanity, stepped into our world. The, the sovereign, powerful, almighty, everlasting, eternal God stepped into our world to redeem, to rescue us, whose love for us is beyond measure, whose love for us is incomprehensible whose ways are not like our own, who, who brings justice and, and redemption to all ma- mankind, but who has stepped into our mess and just continually amazes me that God would love us that way, that God would restore us in that way. And so what I want to do be this Sunday between the Christmas season and the new year is to just invite us to worship Jesus with our whole lives this year, to just purpose ourselves to worship Christ among everything else, above everything else. That Jesus, we're told in the Newer Testament, that Jesus is the exact representation of God. That he is God's revelation of God's glory. When you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. When you want to know the fullness of who God is, look at Jesus. He wasn't just a guy who lived 2,000 or so years ago and just kind of said some nice things, just kind of wandered around and kind of did some cool things. He was God in the flesh. He was the eternal God stepped into human likeness and to be with us, to demonstrate who he is, who God is, and who we can become. And my goal for us or my prayer for us this morning is that we will learn to see Jesus and to worship Jesus more than anything else. That he would reign supreme in our life. That he would take the top priority. That all, all, all of the things would fall in line under Jesus. That he would be Number one, that he would be the priority or the supreme aspect. There's a formation group that I'm in that we're leading through, and one of the things we've talked about recently that just kind of come up in recent weeks is just the aspect of the importance of our inner life, the importance of what's going on in our soul. And one of the illustrations that we're using is that of sinkholes. And according to scientists, a sinkhole happens when the underground river or stream that's underground dries up because of a drought, because there's no more flowing water underneath the ground. And so because of that, the ground dries up or the the river there dries up and it can create a sinkhole where buildings or roads or things that are on top of it just simply cave in. And everything that had rested on top of it because there was no flowing river underneath it, because of the drought, just caves in, just completely caves in. And one of the things we talked about in our group was how many people live lives that are simply built on what might be a sinkhole. That are things may be looking good on the outside, things may be looking good on the outside for everyone to see, but underneath, underneath the support had just dried up. 
there's been a drought. And sometimes that drought has lasted for years. And sometimes it's gone on for decades. And if we're not careful, our drought, our heart, our inner life may be drying up and our life with God may be drying up. And our lives, while they may look good on the outside, may be really built on what may be called a sinkhole. We're busy people. We've got many responsibilities and we give all of our attention, it seems, to the things on the surface, the things that everyone can see. But our inner life, our life with God, our life that is centered on Christ, well, sometimes it takes a back seat. Because we've got lots of things to do. We've got shopping to do. We've got errands to run. We've got responsibilities to take care of. We've got deadlines to meet. We've got things to, to go on. And yet our inner life, the thing that's going to give us the strength and the ability to be faithful and to be strong in the long run, sometimes we neglect it. And there may be a drought that happens for years. And the result of a drought in our inner life connected to God will result in a life that's built on the outside looking great, but it very well may be on verge of collapse because it's really built on a sinkhole. And my hope is that as we enter into 2019 that we would not allow the activities or the busyness or the things of life to neglect our inner life. That we would not allow the things, that sometimes they're really good things, but we would not allow those things to distract us from the inner life or making the right things prioritized and first that we would not allow these superficial things to allow us to neglect the more important things and to that end i want to ask us to look at colossians chapter one as it relates to christ and his the importance of christ and a life well lived in 2019 colossians chapter one verses 13 to 18, if you have a Bible or an app with you, you can open up or you can follow along on the screens with me. But Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 to 18. The Apostle Paul says this, For he, meaning God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. It's that phrase I want us to, to zero in on a little bit this morning, right? At the, end, at the end of verse 18 there. So that in everything, he might have the supremacy. In all of our life, all the activity that's going on, all the stuff that's happening, all the busyness, and all the stuff that we have to do, and all of that, may Christ be supreme. This is what Paul's saying. In everything that he would have supremacy. Uh, the key to a, a life lived well is the centrality of Christ in our life. That we would attend to an inner life where Christ reigns supreme. He is the top priority. We acknowledge him as Lord and we submit our ways to his ways in everything. Even when our ways are easier to do than God's ways, we submit to his ways. Because if we're not careful in our life, then our lives will be run by any number of activities. 
our work, our friends, our relationships, our school, our, our things that we have to do, the errands we have to run. And some of those, like I said, are really good. But none of those, none of those will lead to a life lived well if Christ is not at the center of our life. All of the activities, all the success that you may have in 2019 will not lead to a life lived well if Christ is not supreme in everything. If he is not the top priority in everything. You may look great on the outside. You may have success for what the world may call success. But you will not live a life well lived if Christ is not supreme. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced the the busyness on the outside up here but a drought on the inside? Where you feel like at any moment's notice it could all come collapsing down. It could all come collapsing down. But friends, can I tell you that when Christ reigns central in your life, that you will experience a peace of God that transcends all understanding and will enable you to live your life well, even in troubled times, even in difficult times, even in uncertain times. When you get that right, then our souls truly, it's true that our souls will find rest and they will experience a peace with God throughout all of life's ups and downs. When Christ is central in your life, we begin to experience a sense of supernatural peace. And this peace with God is multifaceted, right? It's peace with God to begin with. That we cannot make ourselves at peace with God on our own. That we can't do anything to merit. We can't learn enough Bible verses. It can't be enough, you know, uh, Bible trivia things. We can't know enough, have enough Bible study and all that kind of stuff to make us right with God. It is only through Christ that we have been made right with God. There is no way, in other words, there is no way to have peace with God apart from Christ being central in your life. There's no way. Unless Christ takes the center stage in your life, there's no way that you can experience a peace that transcends all understanding, a peace with God. This is what the apostle Peter is getting at in Acts chapter 4 when he's talking to the council and he says this, that that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Only through Jesus being central in our life that we have peace with God. Jesus is the only one who can forgive our sin. He is the only one that can restore our life. He is the only one that can make us right with God. He is the only one that can bring peace. This is what we mean when we say apprentices to Jesus are people who are learning to live by faith. That we are learning to trust and believe that the ways of Jesus lead to eternal life. That his ways really are eternal. That he does have the words of eternal life. That he is the one central to our life with God. That's because of him. But the peace that Jesus gives us doesn't only give us peace with God. It also gives us peace with ourselves. There's this image I have in my mind. And I don't know if this helps you, but it helps me at least. Perhaps you can maybe relate to it. The image in my mind is that of a person, you know, a plate spinner who's spinning all these different plates on these little dowels and trying to keep these various activities going all the time and trying not to have these plates fall. You just run from one activity to the next to the next. You just keep these plates spinning. It's a picture of sheer exhaustion, if you're honest with it, where you're just running from one plate to the next because the person feels this overwhelming pressure to always keep things under control, to keep them going, to, to not allow them to fall, and, and their, their need to keep things moving and to control all things around them brings anxiety and fear and worry that at, at, at any moment, one of these things is going to fall out of their control. 
And so they got to maintain control at all, at all cases. And when they, they zero in, they try to control people. They control their cir- circumstances, their situations. And when their things begin to spin out of control, they begin to get worried and fearful. And anxiety begins to raise up in their life. But a person who's learning to live their life well, with Christ at the center of their life, where peace is at the center of their life, they're not learning, they're not being someone who's, who's needing to be in control of everything. They're learning to allow God to be God. They're learning to allow the sovereign God to be God in their life. And peace begins to rule their hearts. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. When he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. For many people, even those that profess Christ as Lord, for many people, worries and fear and anxiety cloud over our lives. They threaten our peace. And it is difficult to live a life well. When, when anxiety and worry and fear cripples us. But the Apostle Paul tells us to present our requests to God, to bring them to his feet, because he's the one who holds things all together. He's the one who's sovereign over all things. And then the, the peace of God will come and guard our hearts. When we learn to present our requests to God, to not try to maintain control over everything and to maintain the perfect image, but we learn to present our requests to God, then he was able to gift us this wonderful thing of peace. And we can learn to live a life well-lived when we don't seem to to gain control back on our own, but we present those requests to God, trusting in his goodness that he indeed holds all things together. We present our request to God because we recognize that Christ is supreme. He is supreme. He holds all things, Colossians says. He holds all things together. So it makes sense to come to him. The supremacy of Christ and the life lived well will allow us to live with peace with God, with peace with ourselves, and then it also learns, helps us to learn to be reconciling people or to live at peace with others to be reconciling people and to live at peace with others. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness in order that we may radiate his glorious light and goodness to those around us, to those around us. As we said during our Christmas celebration, that the light of Christ has come so that we can carry it to wherever we may go and bring peace to those around us, to bring peace to those around us, our relationships, our friends, our family, our coworker, that we may be agents of peace there. We may bring God's light to wherever God sends us, wherever God sends us. Ephesians chapter four, the apostle Paul says this, get rid of all bitterness, excuse me, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Learning to live at peace with others doesn't begin by trying to muster up peaceful emotions, by just trying really hard to love somebody or or trying really hard to to muster up a, a nice feeling towards somebody. Learning to live at peace with others doesn't mean that we gloss over the wrongs that someone else has done to us. It doesn't mean that we just neglect the hurt or the pain that someone is causing us. Learning to live at peace with others begins with God. 
Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Learning to live at peace with others, learning to exude and to, to radiate God's peace to the relationships that we have doesn't begin with us trying to be kind, trying to be compassionate. It begins with God. Because God, through Christ, is reconciling people to himself. That he has so loved us that he stepped into our broken, messy world to redeem us, to restore us, to seek reconciliation with us, to forgive us. And so the apostle says, forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. And can I suggest to you that a, a good discipline is to continually be more amazed that there are wrongs have been forgiven through Christ. Be more amazed that your wrongs have been forgiven through Christ, that you have been, that you have been wronged. Can I say that again, maybe a little more clearly? Start more amazed that your wrongs have been forgiven than the fact that you were wronged. If you begin to be more amazed that your wrongs continually be, are forgiven, then when you are wronged, You are more easily able to forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. But if you forget the goodness of God, if you forget how much he has lavished his forgiveness on you, if you forget that he has loved you even when you were far away from him, that he has restored you, if you forget and neglect and you're not amazed anymore that he has forgiven your wrongs, well, then it'll be too easy to hold on to bitterness, rage and malice and unforgiveness. Because living at peace with others doesn't start with mustering up peace with someone or mustering up loving kindness to someone or being compassionate to someone. Learning to live at peace with others begins with an awareness of God's love for you. Begins with that. It begins with God. My prayer is that you and I would have courage this year to offer forgiveness and peace with others because we are so amazed that our wrongs have been forgiven. That our wrongs have been white, washed white as snow. And the first thing that Christ does is he brings us peace through God. The second difference in a way in which our life is dwell is that Christ bonds us into one body. He bonds us, he connects us into one body. Paul's heart in Colossians is really threefold. That his heart is for God, his heart is for the people, and then his heart is for the church. The church. Christ is the head of the body, the church, he says. That he is the the first of the church, that he leads the church. This is why one of the first things we do as apprentices to Jesus, and as someone who's getting serious with their life with Christ, is we, we invite people to join the church, to come and be united together. We don't see it as an optional thing just on the side, but we see it as a way in which we can come together because in Christ we are one body. And Jesus is supreme in our church, which means a couple things. Which means that Crossroads is not your church, as much as you'd like to think it. It doesn't belong to any one of us. It belongs to Jesus. And when we gather, we gather in Jesus' name. We don't gather in my name or any of the other pastor's names. We don't gather in your name. We gather in Jesus' name. And we gather to get to know him more to encounter him, to be moved and to align our lives under his ways, not our own ways. This is Jesus' church. He's the head of the church. He's the leader of the church, not us. 
And so we come and we gather in his body, in his name, and we gather to be encountering him and to be moved by him and to align our lives with him. And we come to understand his ways in this world and to align our life into his because he runs, reigns supreme in this place. That means all of our worship, all of our prayers, all of our teaching, all of our fellowship is centered on Christ. It's not centered on my opinions. It's not centered on my desires. It's not centered on my wants. It's not centered on anything else. It is centered on Christ. Christ is the head of the church. He is the leader. And we, gain, and we surround ourselves and we come together as his body, but we come under submission to him. So the first thing is that Jesus is the Lord of the church. And we gather in his name, not ours. But the second thing is that God is calling people to serve through the church. That God is calling the church to be an agent of his kingdom in this world. God is calling men and women and young people to serve his good ways through the church, through our gathering. That we would shape ourselves to be a certain kind of people that are sent as his agents in this world. I've used this quote before from Leslie Newbigin to better understand the role of the church and the importance of the church. And I just simply can't get around it. So I'm just going to use it again. Just get used to it. I'm going to use it a lot. This is what he writes. He says this, The church is the bearer to all nations of a gospel that announces the kingdom, the reign, and the sovereignty of God. It calls men and women to repent of their false loyalty to other powers, to become believers in the one true sovereignty, and to so become corporately a sign, an instrument, and a foretaste of that sovereignty of the one true and living God over all nature, all nations, and all human lives. It is not meant to call men out of the world into safe religious enclave, but to call them out in order to send them back as agents of God's kingship. I think that captures it really well. See, when Christ is supreme in our life, both individually and corporately, when he's, when he's supreme in our individual life and is our life together as a body, we live with peace in our life individually, but we also live at peace in our life corporately. Our false loyalties are done away with, and we experience the peace of Christ, and we are to be a foretaste into this world of a life lived well, not rocked by the ups and downs, not kind of shaken by all the ways in which our world still remains in darkness, but a foretaste of agents of God's kingship that we bring light to wherever we go, because we've experienced it first as we gather in his name. So my prayer is that you and I would be people that would experience peace by placing Christ at the center of our life and that we would be an active force in this dark world to bring peace into the world around us. But it means we experience it first. We experience it first. So practically, what does that mean for all of us? What does that mean? Well, it means that we believe that as we gather in this place, that Christ is a central figure. That Christ is the one that or surrounding or, or, evol- or revolving around him is all that we do. And that we desire to have him realign our life. That he realigns our purposes with his purposes. That we would leave this place as bearers of his peace to this world. That we would bring what we experience out into the world, to our workplace, to our neighborhood, to our friends, to our schools 
to our, to our families, that we would experience something here and we would burst out through these doors. And we'll do it by singing. We'll do it by scripture reading. We'll do it by teaching. We'll do it by, through, uh, by giving our offering, our tithes. And we'll do it by engaging in prayer. All of it, our attention is off of ourselves and onto Christ as the center of all of our existence. That in him, all things hold together and have their purpose because of Jesus. God is present here in our gatherings, in our midst. Jesus said, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there I am. So he is here in our midst, in our gatherings, moving, desiring to meet us, desiring to hear us when we pray to him, and desiring to come to us in our time of need. Friends, you and I cannot be agents of God's kingship. You cannot be sent out in the world and as agent of God's ways unless we have experienced his peace personally in our own life. Unless you have experienced a supernatural peace that comes when we begin to learn to have Christ at the center of our life, you will never be an agent of God's kingship unless you experience it first, which is why it's so crucial for us to continue to meet together because we need our lives realigned, continually realigned with Christ in the center of our life. To not allow the various things and the various activities and noises around us to cloud out Christ as center of our life. That we may experience it personally and that we may be agents of his peace to wherever he may send us. So this morning we're going to respond as we have in these last few weeks. And may I suggest one of three responses that you may do this morning. Some of you have not fully yet yielded your life to Christ's lordship. Today may be a good start, a good starting of the year, where you need to just simply admit that you need a savior. And you have made a mess of your life and you need Christ because it is only Christ that can bring salvation. It is only Christ that can bring reconciliation. It is only Christ that can bring wholeness to your life. And so for some of you, today you need to simply ask God to Admit that you're a, a, a sa- you need a Savior and to ask Christ to forgive. And today is a day when you're going to come forward to one of these kneeling rails and ask for prayer that you would need God's peace because you need forgiveness and to receive that, maybe even for the first time this morning. But there's a second thing. Some of you are not experiencing this peace that transcends all understanding because anxiety or worry or fear or your own need to control your situation is causing some kind of anxiety and fear and you're threatening your peace. And so you need to come and you simply need to cast those fears or those anxieties. You need to present your request to God and to, to believe that he who holds all things together will hear your prayer. And so whatever worry or anxiety is threatening your peace this morning, would you bring it and to ask God to step in and to meet you there and to meet you in the midst of it? Perhaps you need prayer this morning, trusting that Christ does indeed hold all things together, that he really does know your situation. Still the third area where you may need to bring for prayer is that there's an area of conflict in your life. There's an area of issue, of unresolved stuff that's going on. And you are realizing that you are being called to be a person of peace. To learn to forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. But you need courage for that. You're unsure how to do it. So maybe this morning you're going to come and just simply ask the person praying here that they would pray for, for courage. That you would be a person of peace in the conflict that you're experiencing. 
So my prayer is that we would come boldly and we would come expectantly that Christ desires to meet us, to hear us, and to lead us. That we may experience the peace of God that transcends all understanding and that we may be agents of God's kingship in the world wherever he sends us. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray that you would be central in our life. Thank you that you have already stirred in our midst as we celebrate and as we are um, reminded of your faithfulness in our stories this morning. But I pray this morning that as we come to you, that you would hear us and lead us to have a life lived well, a life of peace, not out of control anxiety or worry, not unresolved conflict. May we be agents of your kingship. It's in your name. Amen.